Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, today we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture here in the Bible. It is highly memorized, but unfortunately, it is not highly obeyed. And so we're going to look at it today and see what it has to, uh, to say to us for these days that we are currently living in. It's a strong verse. It was written uh, not to everyone. It was written specifically to Israel at a very specific time in their history. The time was just after the temple had been finally completed by, by King Solomon. If you remember, David wanted to build a temple, a permanent structure for God's presence, but God forbid him from doing that. But he allowed Solomon to do so. And so this is just after the, the temple was built. And just shortly after that, uh, it was consecrated by God. If you remember, the Shekinah glory of God filled the temple. And, and the Lord uh, proved that he approved of it. And he filled it with his presence. And so uh, one of the things that I want us to understand is just because it was written to them does not mean that it cannot apply to us. And so God is here speaking to his people who have identified themselves with him and with his work. And he is speaking to those who have placed their faith in his promises. And so if that is uh, true of us, then he is speaking to us here as well. So let's read 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God had warned the people uh, that their disobedience to the promises and the commands of God would bring consequences. Now, remember, this is not God speaking because they had offended him. This is right at the tail end of the consecration of the temple. So God is warning them, here is what I want. I want to give my presence to you. I want to fill the temple with your presence. I want you to be able to join in with me, with a community with me, and, and enjoy my presence with me. And here's how we'll sacrifice, and here's how we'll, here's how we'll deal. But if you do not obey me, here will be the consequences of that. And the Lord says in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, He says this, He says, when I uh, begin to remove rain from you, this is going to affect the crops and the produce and the, the fields, when I, and their food supply for sure, uh, when I remove rain, when I allow the locust to eat up everything, and when I allow pestilence in, that's when you'll know you're out of bounds. That's when you'll know you're out of bounds. These things come as a direct consequence of not keeping the favor of God. Now, I am not saying that this current uh, issue that we're facing today is a direct consequence of disobedience, but I am saying that we should pay clear attention that maybe it is. God is certainly getting our attention, I believe. It's interesting that God commands their obedience, but then he tells them what to do when they violate it. I do not think that God gives us permission to intentionally rebel against his will, but it does 
further prove, I believe, that God is for us. In fact, in John, 1 John chapter 1, it says that if we sin, uh, another way of saying that is since we will sin, we know that we have a God who will forgive us and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we repent of those sins, if we will ask for forgiveness. And so we know that while God's plan for us is not sin, it is not disobedience, He also understands that we will get distracted by this world. And He has made provision for us. He has shown us what the boundaries and the borders are going to look like when we move from our own distractions into disobedience. So He's not for our disobedience, but He does give us the signs. So here are the things that they must do if they want to be relieved from His judgments. I think this verse also proves that God cares for us. The whole fact that God is willing to take up residence in the temple so that He can commune with His people proves to us that God cares. Knowing that they are going to fall back and forth into idolatry and yet He still chooses to come into their lives is proof of His care, not of His anger. And so even though God allows these things to happen, it does not mean that God does it because He's angry or because He's violent. It does so. It does mean though that He is allowing these things to happen because He wants a relationship with us. He is concerned, and He was concerned for them, and I think we can take the truths of that and know that He is also concerned with us. It proves to us that God wants closeness with us. He's concerned for us. He wants best for us. And He allows, because He loves us so much, I also think of that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To me, this is an exact parallel that God knew that we were not right with Him, and He chose to come near us. God knew that the children of Israel were going to rebel into idolatry, and He chose to come near to them. But these things that happen in our lives, such as the coronavirus or any sort of calamity that occurs to us, gives us an opportunity to reprioritize, to refocus, to, to really peel back to the basics of life. And we have certainly had to do that. It allows us to appreciate the stripped-down options, recentering ourselves. And we can either use those as opportunities to come back to Him, or we can use those as opportunities to avoid Him, to recenter our homes upon Him, or to figure out how to manipulate our way around the issues. So that's why God brings correction to our life, is because He loves us. He is for us. In fact... This is the gospel, that regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, Jesus Christ is for you, and He is coming into the midst of your issues and speaks to us softly so that we can learn to recommune with Him. So we need to be careful that we don't use Scripture thinking that it's some sort of a formula, though, like 1 plus 2 equals 3 sort of a thing. That is what we have to, you know, some, something like have to jump through the right hoops. If I do this, you know, uh, if I go through these motions, I will some way or another, you know, command God to do something for me. That's not the promise here for us. This isn't a spell, and God is not a genie willing to grant us our wishes. This is a relationship. It is a, with them, a 
covenant. We are not in a contract with God, whereas if we do these things, then God will, is commanded or obligated to do these things for us. We are not in a contract with God. We are in a covenant relationship with Him. Therefore, it is not about our actions. It is about our hearts. That's what God tries to get to is the heart. Not just to get us to change our actions because our actions will never change our heart. But if God can change our heart, then we will change our actions. These requirements are not formulaic, but each part of it involves the heart, the passions, the energy, the desires, the ambitions. But if the conditions are all met God's way, then I believe the stage will be set for a real rescue. It does not guarantee a rescue, but it does mean that the environment is prepared for us to enjoy a relationship with God. Before healing can ever become a reality, and I want you to notice where this starts. This doesn't start with God being angry at the sinners of the world. This starts with, if my people... I mean, these were during the days of the nations raging against God. And yet, God does not go in and, and begin to cut all of them off. He goes to the house of Israel first and He says, If my people, who are called by my name... It reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, where Peter says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The, the judgment of God starts with God's people. Because the, honestly, the hope of the world belongs to God's people. God has given us that commission. He has given us that commandment to reach into the uttermost parts of the world and give them the gospel. And the proof of the world's sin is simply proof that the church has not been obedient to the commission that God gave us. And so the correction from God must begin with those who have violated first. It is so easy to think about, to pointing our fingers at the sinning world and to point our fingers at all and condemn them and blame them for every terrible thing. To point our fingers at the pagan nations and to curse them while talking about how much we love God. And boy, we have certainly been guilty of that. We've created the us and them mentality. But I want you to notice who God's pointing the finger at. Go to, notice who God is telling to repent. The church. His people. We should be focusing on our relationship with God. And as an outflow of our lives, our neighbors and the nations will begin to learn about a relationship with Him. Well, the people of God must meet four primary demands. Now, here's, this is, again, this is not a formula that guarantees uh, a healing of the land. But it is a formula that guarantees the environment will be set within us to gain a new perspective. So these are significant. And I want us to take special attention to these. If, when you're watching at home, I want you to have this conversation with your family. Because it's very important for us to understand the exact nature by which God directs us to do this. We do not have the freedom and the permission to think for ourselves in this case. God has told us exactly what He expects. So meeting these four demands does not guarantee an action from God in our circumstance, but it does create an atmosphere in which a new heart is focused upon God. Only God knows why God does certain things and why He allows certain things. I, I don't know. Why does God allow certain things? I, I don't know. 
Sometimes I have moments where you see something happen that you didn't necessarily ask for, and then later you can go, ah, I can see why God allowed these things to happen was to get me to this place. Other times things happen and we don't see it so clearly, and we may never know why God allows certain things to happen. But our cultivated hearts make it possible for God to act. Our cultivated hearts make it possible for God to act. This is God's sovereign will where, yes, He could at this moment stop a pestilence, a disease. Immediately, He could stop an epidemic in His sovereign will. But in His permissive will, He is teaching us and He is giving us opportunities to come back to Him. So, God can act, but God is waiting for us to act. That does not mean that God is unable to act. It just simply means that He is allowing us to partner with His permissive will, our free will, choosing to partner with Him. Without meeting the requirements, rescue is not possible. Repentance is not possible. But meeting the requirements does not guarantee rescue, but it does make it possible. So the problem is not drought. The problem is not locusts. The problem is not disease or plague. The problem is the hardness of the hearts of God's people. It's not the sin of the world. It's the sin that the people of God have allowed to creep into their lives. God sent His Son into the world. God sends His presence into the world. God runs to the sin of the world. But He seems to be repulsed by the sin of the church. And He acts to get the attention. He offers us a rescue. But the primary, in order to get rescued, is we must be clean and holy before Him. We've been talking now for a number of weeks about the circumstances uh, affecting our attitudes. You know, and, and we need an attitude change, not just a circumstance change, right? So even if God does not change our circumstances, in other words, we do not get right with God so that God will remove coronavirus. We do not get right with God so that we won't get it. We get right with God so that our hearts can change and we're willing to accept whatever God's will is for our life. And we have peace and we have joy. I think of the he three Hebrew boys who were going to the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel. And they said, they, King Nebuchadnezzar said, bow and kneel to this idol. And, and they said, we will not bow. Our God is able to deliver us. That's in His sovereign will. He is able to. But even if He does not, we will not bow. You see, their perspective allowed them to see God without their circumstance changing. So the first thing we must do is humble ourselves. I want you to know how personal, realize how personal that is. Uh, not, this is not a allow me to be humbled, but humble themselves. This is a call to preparation. Uh, so the, the word itself has the idea of being placed under another. So one of those things that God's people must do is remember. Remember who we are. Uh, we get arrogant when we are not connected to God, when we are apart from God. And when we remember who He is, we can begin to humble ourselves. And if there's ever been a time in our lives where we need to remember who God is, it's this day right here. When we remember who He is, we can humble ourselves. Sometimes 
God has to remind us of who He is. If we do not listen to the blessings of God, then we will certainly listen to His curses. Who is the Lord? When we humble ourselves to the Lord, we are acknowledging His Lordship and His Headship over our lives. We are also admitting our weaknesses and our inability. And, uh, and I think that that is so important for us. Days like this, we begin to laugh at ourselves forever thinking that we were in control of anything. Uh, these days are, are certainly a reminder of, I can't, Lord, but you can. And it's important for us to humble ourselves. I think of what Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Notice who's humbling who? Whoever humbles himself. The Lord is not the humbler. We must recognize our need for humiliation. We must recognize our need to place ourselves under the authority of God. Not to rage against Him. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, to those who humble themselves. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord. Who's to do the humbling? Ourselves. We are to recognize our need for humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So every time humility is offered in Scripture, it is for us to humble ourselves. It's something that we do. We place ourselves under His authority. And when we, when we do that, then we're able to serve one another. So when we, when we begin to humble ourselves, we begin to recognize our immediate need. When we see our need and our inabilities, what do we do? When I recognize how desperate I truly am, there's one thing that I always do, and that is go to the Lord in prayer. So he says we should humble ourselves and pray. Prayer is active humility. Prayer is the first fruits of a humble life. This isn't praying for before a bed or uh, praying for a big decision or praying uh, over a meal. This is actually praying where we are desiring nothing more than the presence of God in our life. The praying person will see his own inability and recognize God's ability. It implies complete dependence upon God, not just for changed circumstance, but asking God for a clean heart, a renewed spirit. So I encourage you to find opportunities to humble yourselves before the Lord and to recognize our own inabilities. And when you do that and when you sense His presence, we will begin to call out in desperation and pray. Pray in your homes. Pray on your porches. Pray in your cars. Pray at your jobs if you're still there. Pray on your, on your decks. Pray in your yard. Lift your hands and pray and depend upon God. Let us determine that we're going to take every opportunity, every moment of life as an opportunity to pray. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, Ask anything in my name and I will do it. To get ourselves in a place where we want what God wants for us more than what we want. When we pray in Jesus' name, He will do it. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says that in everything in prayer, by prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 7 says to pray without ceasing. So I want to give you a really quick clue here. We're going to, and I want you to write this down because we're, we're maybe tempted to forget. 
I want to challenge you to begin to do this today. Today is when it starts, okay? We're going to look at uh, a new way to connect without being together. And it's going to be called If 714. If 714. If you want to download the app, you can. There's information right there. Uh, you can go ahead and take a look at that app. Download it later. Pay attention now. And uh, it'll give you some clues there, maybe even some uh, uh, reminders to pray. But what I want to challenge us as a church to do is at 714, if you're up in the mornings, uh, to pray. At 714 in the evenings, to pray. It'll give you reminders. You can set those up on your phone independent of that. It'll also give you sample prayers of how to pray and what to pray over. If 714... But it is time for us as the people of God to humble ourselves and pray. And so there are pastors throughout the River Valley who are going to be this morning encouraging their church to participate in this. So here's how it's going to work. At least once a day at 714, I want everyone in our church to begin to pray. And just pray for God's blessing, pray for His favor, pray for wisdom, and pray that He would bring us to a place of repentance, that He would use us and that we would say yes to His will. That's what we want to pray, that God would heal our land. And that it would be a testimony not to our health, but it would be a testimony to His glory. And that the whole world would have no option but to fully embrace Him or to intentionally reject Him. We want to draw a line in the sand. So, so every day of the week, in the morning if you're up at 714, pray. You could do that by yourself or whoever you're with. I would encourage you. I'm speaking specifically to men right now. I don't know why I'm doing that, but I want you to listen to me very closely. If you have never prayed with your family, if you have never called them to worship, if you have never led them spiritually, this is the time that I, it's, it's very important that this time you take a step forward. Your family desperately needs spiritual leadership from you. It is commanded in Scripture, and we can neglect it no longer. That's one of the things that we need to repent over. God has given us authority. He has given us responsibility to lead our family spiritually, and it's time that we took that. And so I want to encourage you in the evenings at 714 for you to begin to call your family to pray. If you have never prayed publicly, publicly with them, there are some prayers listed on that app. And I encourage you to read them. And just Don't read the prayers while you're praying. But just familiarize yourself with what that prayer might would look like for your family. Make it personal. Make it real. Make it meaningful. It's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward the first few times. Embrace it. Because there's going to be men all over the River Valley that have never taken up this mantle that are going to be doing it for the very first time. Don't miss out on this challenge. On Wednesdays, Wednesday evenings at 714... As long as we're able to do this, I want to challenge you to do this. We usually meet for Bible study on Wednesdays. We're not able to do that now. But at 714 on Wednesday evenings, I want you to go into your front yard. And I want you to call your family to be with you. And, uh, and I want you to pray in your yard, in your driveway. And churches all over the River Valley are going to be doing this, especially on Wednesday nights. And so wouldn't it be awesome if you go out as a family into your front yard and look up and down your street and see born-again believers lifting their hands and praying to the Lord? You don't have to make a spectacle of yourself, but how wonderful would it be for us as the church to be able to take back these days and to find peace and joy in the midst of panic and anxiety. So let me encourage you to pray, to humble yourselves and pray, and to seek His face. That word means panim. 
It's a very interesting word. It means that as God moves his head one way or the other, we are trying to always keep his attention. We're trying to keep his focus, not, from, not by sinning. We're trying to keep his focus by performing for him, by living for him, by uh, enjoying him. It's almost like a kid that is saying, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. Most of the time in our spirit life, we're saying, I, wish, I hope God's not paying attention. I hope God's not watching. But he says that we should seek his face. That means that we should be able to live in such a way that God is, that we are aware that God is taking notice of our lives, of our humility, of our prayer. This is where we come to the place where God is the number one priority in the desire of our heart. And we live to be seen by him. You know, I have found that a man's true value is summed up by what he pursues, what he chases. So let me ask you, what, what pursues your mind? What, what are you chasing in this world? If it's not the attention of God, you're focusing on the wrong things. Where has the Lord gotten your attention over the last couple of weeks? What have you been paying attention to? What is He saying to you? What are you frustrated most about? These are questions we should be asking ourselves because as we ask those questions, we're really able to drill down into what the issues are, maybe where our hearts are. Are Because I'm quite honestly, I think sometimes our heart is in one place, but we think it's in another. And so these are good days for us to reevaluate those things. Are, are we focused on ourself or are we focused on our Savior? It's really interesting how those things can change, change from one week to the next. So maybe the question is not what am I pursuing, but what should I be pursuing? Maybe we have so many. We have had, there is no doubt. We have had so many pursuits. We are so fragmented in our pursuits that it's not that God's not first place. It's that we don't have time for a first place. There is no place for first place in our lives. Okay, shifting. So once we pursue Him, we'll be able to see many things in our lives and in our thinking that we were previously unclear about or maybe we were blinded from. And God says, if my people will turn from their wicked ways. Wicked ways. If I were to ask any one of us, tell me about your wicked ways, we would say, I don't know that I would call them wicked ways. Were we aware of them? Nope. These people were still God's people, but they were willing to live in idolatry. They were willing to live with God's blessing, but they hadn't even noticed that God was absent. And I really think that we were beginning to feel that and experience that as well. Wanting God's blessing, but not God's presence. They had their attention on their circumstances instead of upon His holiness. They were worried about wildfires and famines and food and security and they hadn't even thought about needing God's presence in their lives. They were satisfied with God's things, but not God's, God Himself. The correlation is pretty easy to see in our days. So God wants His people to identify their own sin. Now watch this. We don't start with turn from their wicked ways. We start with humbling ourselves. Recognizing again who God is. Recognizing our desperation for Him. Moving from desperation to recognizing our need for a community and Him watching our lives, having Him in first place. So we're under His authority. 
Not only are we under His authority, but we're desperate for His relationship. And once we're desperate for that relationship, we're willing to live exposed lives where He watches every moment of our day. Now get this. Once we are walking in holiness, once we know who He is and we're desperate for Him, it is so much easier for us to identify our sin. If we spend all of our time focused on sin and what's right and what's wrong, which by the way, I think this is a huge revelation, at least for me. Focused on should I or shouldn't I? Is this something that I can get away with? Is, you know, is this really sin in my life? You will justify everything that you want to do. You will give yourself permission to do whatever it is that you want to do. And you will not call it sin and it will not give birth to wicked ways. But if you will walk with Jesus Christ and you will desire Him and you will begin to uh, enjoy a relationship with Him, your wicked ways will expose themselves. What am I bringing? Am I bringing glory to God through this? It will begin to change. And now all of a sudden, I don't get to give myself permission. I get a sense that the Holy Spirit is telling me if something is right or wrong, not my own mind or my own justification. This is very important for us to understand. Turning from our wicked way is the same word as repentance. And you might find this interesting. Repentance is not a biblical word. Oh, it's found in Scripture, but it doesn't have its origin there. It has its origin from nomadic people who are walking in the desert without a map. And once they uh, recognize that they're not going in the right direction, that's phase one. Phase one of repentance is knowing that I'm not going the right direction. Phase two is turning to correct it. And so I want to encourage you, when it's turning from our wicked ways, we need to recognize to get to a place where we are willing to recognize that we're going in the wrong direction. And then we have to be willing to turn around and correct it. But the Lord Himself says He asks us to turn from our wicked ways. It is we who humble ourselves. It is we who pray. It is we who are, who are uh, turning from our wicked ways. All of these things, though God puts it on us to do that, but we will only have the impetus to do it when we are walking with Him truly. But I want you to notice what God will do. In response to that, He will hear our prayer. I, I cannot overemphasize this. Sin will hinder your prayer life. Sin will hinder your prayer life, and you will have sin in your life that you even, haven't even recognized. And until you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and walk with Him and recognize His glory, you may not see the sin that is hindering your prayer life. But He will forgive us. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I have cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But without sin in our life, we are free to pursue God's will. The second thing that God will do is He will help us. He says He will forgive our sins. When we have, forget, when we have repented, He will forgive. I want you to notice that that's very important for us. We live in a day of grace. And we will often say, well, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. But I want you to notice the condition. God forgives after we have repented. After we have recognized our wicked ways. After we have begun a relationship with Him and walking with Him. This means that not only is relationship restored, but that fellowship is also restored as well. So my relationship is restored through prayer. My fellowship is restored through forgiveness. The last thing that the Lord says that He will do is He will heal our land. 
Now, sin, sins are answered, and so are prayers. If you want to live in sin, there will be a consequence. If you want to live in holiness and pray, there will have benefits to that as well. They were warned that their sins would be answered by the Lord through drought, locust, and disease, and that it would devastate them. And I'm reminded now of was it Revelation chapter 9 and also in Revelation chapter 16 where the Lord says, you know, he's, he's heaping these judgments upon people, upon the world. And it says, but they would not repent, but they would not repent, but they would not repent. Four times in these uh, two chapters, the Lord brings about consequence, but they would not repent. May that not be true for the church as it is true for the world. This is why the admonition to repent is to the church because the church must soften its heart first because the world will not. The church must soften its heart. We must experience a closeness with the Lord during these days. We have the capacity to soften our heart. The world does not. But the world will look at the soft heart of the church and they will learn the ways of the Lord. I'm afraid the church is not teaching the world how to respond to God. It's... Uh, this time is really getting our attention. The nations have been raging for generations and throwing sin back in God's face and daring God to act. And I believe that God is getting our attention. The world is running for a cure, but listen, the greatest cure is repentance that brings restoration. Our bodies may not avoid getting sick, but our spirits can have fellowship with God. And it's days like this that we can be reminded of how important God is. So this in 2 Corinthians Chronicles chapter 7 isn't a result of the world's sin, but God's people. But when restoration comes, everyone in the world benefits. So church, I want to encourage you. This doesn't go away. Our, our land doesn't get healed when the world repents. Our spirits are restored when the church gets right with God. So I want to encourage you this morning that wherever you think you are, humble yourselves and pray and seek His face. And then you will turn from your wicked ways. And He will answer our prayer. And He will restore a relationship with us, fellowship with us, and He will heal our land. Restoration is always God's part. And, uh, and I think of even now already how restoration has begun. And I see pictures of families playing games. I see, I've heard so many conversations uh, of families who have reconnected. I'm getting messages all the time of families wanting to know, how do I process this and this? And I didn't know this was an issue in my life until these days of silence and lack of distractions. I think the Lord is already getting our attention and He is purifying us and He is giving us an opportunity to call out to Him. And I want to be a part of that. I do sense an awakening among God's people. And I hope that you're one of them. Restoration is always God's part, but we can create an atmosphere where it becomes more likely, personally, and also in our church, through our communities. When the world begins to see us praying, when our families begin to see us taking up the spiritual authority that God has given us to pray over them and to seek Him and to, and to repent and our lives and are radically transformed. Now I want you to remember this and I'm going to close, but we're going to close with a song so don't, don't stop listening uh, for a moment. But 
the context was the temple being blessed by God with His presence. When God blessed the, the, the temple with His presence, He filled it. And all the nations knew. And, and I think about for us, God has, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And His presence has filled you to be a blessing. And so I want to encourage you today. We need to take notice of what God may be trying to teach us. And even if this is not a part of, of, uh, of what God is trying to teach uh, us, and maybe this is just, I, I, I just think that God is using these issues that we're experiencing right now to get our attention. And I think we ought to do four things. Humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways so that we can experience more of Him. So before our team comes, you, go ahead, you guys go ahead and come and, and uh, I'm going I'm to pray for us. And uh, I just I want to say this. If you're watching, well, you are watching, but if you are not God's people called by His name, it's not too late to say yes to Him. And I wish that we could do that one-on-one one -on -one here, but I want to ask you, if the Lord is speaking to your heart and you have not said yes to Jesus, I ask you today, I, I would love to pray with you. If you will message me or contact me in some way, we can walk through that, what it looks like to take next steps. Maybe you are God's people. You do call yourself by His name, but you've not been living where you ought to be living. You, you've allowed blind spots and distractions to consume you. I want to encourage you, today's the day to turn from your wicked ways so that God will hear our prayers and they won't be hindered. And so I just ask, let me, let me just pray over us. Lord, I just ask that your blessings would be upon us. I pray that you would give us uh, hope in these days. I pray that we'd be filled with joy. I, I, I pray that your presence in our lives is enough. And yes, we are worried about stimulus packages and finances and layoffs and furloughs. And we're worried about which one of our loved ones are going to get sick. And every time we hear a cough, we turn our head. And Lord, I, it's hard to be thankful for that. But in a lot of ways, I feel like you're at work in it. And I just pray you, we would have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church and we would recognize that the church plays a very important part and while Satan himself is trying to keep the church shut up in their homes, Lord I thank you for the opportunity to, to steal influence and if that means going out into our yard on Wednesday evenings and praying maybe in ways that we've never prayed before and with people we've never prayed with and, and Lord in the evenings embracing the awkward of praying with our family and opening up the scripture and studying your word together Lord get our attention we give you permission because we want your presence more than we want the things of this world and where that's not true I pray that you'd purify our hearts through this time so church I just want to speak a word of blessing over you as we attempt to be all that God has called us to be. And so now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.